Welcome to the audio podcast, the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online and our recently renovated sanctuary. Sunday morning service is in person at 11 a.m. and we are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message. At the Riverside Church in 1967, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered the now famous speech, Beyond Vietnam, A Time to Break Silence. Toward the end of that speech, he declared, when machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. He then invoked the necessity in America for a, quote, true revolution of values. And it would not be out of tune for someone to have rejoined from that august space so they shall not hurt or destroy on all God's holy mountain. More than 50 years have passed. No revolution. Were Isaiah here in the pews today, he'd shout, it's 2,550 years and no revolution, no new earth. Even though listening to Isaiah's song so beautifully read Elder Green, listening to Isaiah's song felt like being lifted up on eagle's wings this morning after all the lies and fears of the past election season have somewhat subsided. The luminous poetry of the prophet, each fragment of that prophet's dream reveals also the dark side of how things stand. No more remember the things of old. By God, give us freedom. Our souls need rest from remembering the countless hurts done to us and by us. No more weeping heard in the streets because the eyes of compassion sting from the thick smoke of the cries of injustice rising all the day, all the night. No more infants dying because this country can stop making and marking the highest infant mortality rate of all the rich nations but wills it not. No more will they build houses and others inhabit because redlining and foreclosure and eviction notices paper the streets. No more children born for calamity because the nations can put brakes on climate calamity but will not. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The elephant and the donkey sit down and reason together. 
And they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Ah, dream it. Hold the image. Hold the sound of it, the drumbeat for civil war on these shores. Fading, fading to silence in a true revolution of values. Think of such a hope not as a prediction, God knows, but as a warning, a warning. On seeing that a dream set down by the prophet so long ago, so long ago, that it still maps so closely to the heart we need to open, the heart that must break, the needs and injustices that pour out. This fact that so old a dream still matters means one thing, that every human on earth is a child of God. That's what it means. That has been the sole cry of the scriptures across all the world and time from every tradition according to its kind. Each person carries all humanity within. Each person. All humanity within. Do not crush. Each an eternal mystery. Each of equal worth. The harm done to each, an assault on God. These cries have been lifted up through all the ages. For months now, we have heard continuously about threats to democracy, unless, of course, Fox was in the hen house. <laughs> After the votes were counted last this week, We've also heard more than a few sighs like little Isaiah's proclaiming that democracy won and despotism lost. For now, the usual commentary about democracy stuck, sticks strictly to secular terms. Secular terms of politics and power and society's needs and so forth. In the flood of that media talk, which really has all of us inside its tides, if you had no spiritual training, you could not discern that yearning for democracy is first of all a spiritual yearning. Yearning for democracy is the dream that all humans be seen and heard as human. All, all held in awe with respect. Because as Genesis has it, all are made in the image and likeness of God. All of equal worth, all the lambs of God. Democracy is that manner of governing a society which springs from the aspiration of a people, of most of them at any rate, an aspiration to acknowledge the presence of the divine in every person. Now, by no means 
Does every member of society, weak or powerful, agree that all humans are created equal? This is fraught battlefield of disagreement. It is not self-evident, Pache Thomas Jefferson. Why, the USA only became a democracy with the passage of the Voting Rights Act in 1965. We are babies at this, brand new at trying it out and not doing great. Let it never be more plainly said, attacks on voting rights and attacks on democratic processes are attempts to drive the divine presence out of the spirit of a people to demoralize them in every sense of that word so that greed may proceed with taking what is not justly given. That's what's going on. What is at stake in the demand for democracy has nothing to do with teams and tribes, with red or blue. If you are drawn by the values I am describing here today, you are not in a tribe, unless all humanity is some tribe. Don't let the media say it's just both sides. No. Democracy is the spiritual question whether, in the words of Abraham Lincoln, whether this nation or any nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all are created equal can even long endure. Will greed be regulated by those who are spiritually mature? Or will greed be let to run amok? This is a spiritual contest. Now let's cut deeper into the nation's disease by pressing that metaphor from King's speech, the giant triplets. What are triplets? What are triplets but closest possible relations coming from one source? What one source have racism, materialism, and militarism in common. Greed, greed, greed. Greed isn't green. It hasn't to do with dollar signs clogging the eyeballs of rich men. That's silliness. I think uh, Scrooge McDuck was pictured that way. Do you remember from the comics? Greed is, greed is the gravity that drags my consciousness down when my desire meets another's and I do not want to see the other. I do not want to acknowledge you. I will not let go my advantage. That is greed. The greed of racism, structural, institutional, personal, the greed of racism hoards advantages, social, economic, political, for the dominators. The greed of materialism piles up things in pursuit of happiness eternally out of reach, desperate to save itself from feeling its own emptiness. The greed of militarism piles up unjust acquisitions of lands and spoils in the pretense of providing 
security and power to the people and all the while fills the people with hatred, hatred and fears which, which they do drink to save themselves from feeling their emptiness. Greed is a spiritual disease. Lately, Reverend William Barber, many of you recognize his name and his leadership in the Poor People's Campaign. Barber has added to Martin King's triplets two siblings. Have you followed this? I think he's exactly right. You'll see this. You hear in each of his sermons and speeches these days a precise delineation of the enemies we face. Yes, racism, materialism, militarism, and now also climate destruction and Christian nationalism. Quince, if you will. All born of greed. The greed of climate disasters is not hard to trace. We of the rich nations have dragged up from ancient muds trillions upon trillions of trees, carefully boxed there in the earth by slow nature, dragged up and burned fast by us for our advantage. Now, I think in the beginning, it was not greed, but the thrill of discovery in Titusville, Pennsylvania, perhaps, or in India, where the oils were discovered and their value uncovered. But since the scientists proved, and they began speaking of this in the 1970s, proved that the world will burn and drown if we keep this up, this burning of the fossil fuels. It was only greed, and it is only greed that keeps it up with no regard for the calamities on weak nations and generations yet to come and cities built on sand. The greed of Christian nationalism is a hubris of an altogether different kind. The greed of Christian nationalism takes God captive. Imagine that. God captive. Christian nationalism hoards in its, to itself the notion that God has said yes to everything they choose and think. That's what it is. It's greed. What a marvel. It locks the door against consciousness of sin. Completely. Just Shut the door, lock it. We do not sin, only they do. That's Christian nationalism. You know, the roots of words can reveal meanings that have evaporated from their everyday use of them. At the root of the word greed is an ancient word that meant hunger. Now, being greedy is not being hungry, or the other way around. Being hungry is not being greedy. There's nothing wrong with being hungry. Anybody hungry in the room? <laughs> but the root word grew into that word greed in order to describe people who were too hungry, still hungry, 
even after they've had their fill. Hungry for what no one needs, hungry for things that hurt others and even themselves. When we do not know who we are or whose we are or what we're for, when we have only our narcissism at the center of the universe, our greed can devour people close to us, people far, can even devour things beyond our knowledge, even the whole world, even God, or the idea of God. When we fear that nothing will save us from oblivion, greed descends like locusts on our souls, eats them up. Sometimes greed descends on a whole nation. In great numbers, people desperate to be saved from their emptiness and anger submit themselves to a tyrant who promises to sate their basest hungers with violence and hatred. We have seen it all over the world. Alas, most people who have ever lived on earth have given into or suffered under tyrannical rulers like these. But those who actually feel drawn to such tyrants, maybe it's as much as a third in every nation, these people are not mature. That's I think the best adjective for it. They're not mature. They're, their fears are real, but the objects that they fear are not. Their imaginations have cursed them with objects that are not there. Tragically, the projects of greed in which the fearful can join can wreak violence and terror on millions of others who do not feel what they feel or fear what they fear. The fight for democracy is a real conflict with real enemies. At bottom, it is a spiritual conflict. What then shall we do? First, take to heart the wisdom of the great tradition in which you are called. Hear the Apostle Paul in the second chapter, The Confidence of the Church. He writes, therefore you have no excuse. Whoever you are, when you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. You know, there's an extraordinary and unexpected benefit from seeing what's at work on the world stage in terms of greed. It is this. With some attention on your own self, on your own nature, you can readily observe the movement of greed in yourself. Have you never taken from another what was not justly given. Never. Never taken advantage in an unfair fight. Never 
taken comfort that should have been shared? Has your greed been more, worse for you to know, to become conscious of through your own attention? Greed names a spiritual contest that is at work in every human spirit. Homo sum, wrote the Roman playwright Terentius in 165 BC. Homo sum, I am a human. I therefore consider nothing human, alien to me. Nothing. This is a blessing of a confession made honestly before your God. To see this in humility is a beginning in wisdom. For you cannot overcome the gravity of greed by strength of will. It does not work. In the public square, our angry activism and politics, eh, they usually get nowhere. Have you heard it said? Jesus asks, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Ah. But I say to you, Jesus went on, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This you cannot do by force of will. You cannot. Only grace can help us here. Shall we call it grace then? when we see that the evils we deplore, you know that song by Harry Emerson Fosdick, the evils we deplore. Shall we call it grace when we see that the evils we deplore are driven in them who work them by the very same forces of fear we can feel at work in ourselves? I am a human, therefore I consider nothing human, alien to me. This is an invitation to make space for grace. When your child came, comes in the night in terror of monsters under the bed, you do not hate the child? <laughs> of course not. Her fear is real. Her understanding is not. In your concern, you do not feed her fears. You stay with her. You know she is not mature. Is there something in this simple figure to inform our practice with fellow citizens howling in fear at monsters on the border Monsters with black faces, Jews, all people coming home from prison. Oh, I could go on and on and on. They are like little children howling at things that are not there. You will never hear or read it said in the newspapers that they are not mature. But if you accept your calling as a peacemaker in this greed-driven world begin with a prayer for grace to love your enemy.
This does not require that you accept that your enemy sees well. Pray rather to see your own faults well, with attention, and for how to meet your enemy. From the mountaintop, Jesus' last word to you was this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And maybe your heart sinks a bit. What is that? But you know, the translation is not perfect. Every other use of the word that appears here in the New Testament, Paul was especially drawn to use this word. Every other use is translated by the word mature. Yes, every single one, not this one. I don't know why they can't just say, be mature as your heavenly father is mature. <laughs> but that's not what we've got in our translations. It is what's there in the Greek. The word is an interesting one. It's I'm going to sound it out, teleos. It comes from the noun telos, which sometimes gets used by philosophers. It means the goal, the goal, the only one that matters, whatever that is, the goal, the telos. Stephen Covey might have written, begin with the telos in mind. Be goal-tuned. Be goal-turned as your heavenly Father is goal-turned. Be spiritually mature so that you may be children of your God in heaven. By grace alone can come the peace. And by grace you can serve as a warrior on God's holy mountain. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you were fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options both in person and online Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are live in the sanctuary as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org and the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash First Church Brooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.